0: 2 Timothy can be found on page 1181 of your Pew Bible. We're going to be making our way through a couple of sections in it. This letter is one of the last letters that St. Paul will write. He is in prison, and he is convinced he will die soon. Now, it's possible, and some scholars will argue that he got out of prison and didn't die right away and then went back in prison later and died, but it, it really doesn't matter. Where he is, is believing that it's over for him. Believing there is no more future. Except what you'll see, I pray, is that it's not that he thinks there's no more future, he thinks his future's about to get a lot better. He has grasped this idea that's very difficult for modern Christians, which is to believe that death is gain. It doesn't mean death is good. Death is still the punishment for sin. But because Christ has died... Christ is risen, Christ will come again. Now death is no longer only entry into perdition. Death is a passage to the highest heaven, wherein you will rest with Christ until the day he returns and puts you back in your body, risen from the dead, perfected in all innocence, righteousness, and blessedness, to dwell on a new earth underneath a new heavens forever and ever. And some people will then get caught up right away on forever and everything. That sounds so big. How can I imagine it? Don't think of forever as a long future. Think of forever as now that never ends. Jesus has made it so that your now will never end. And your death now is gain because it will leave your sin behind. Buried in the tomb of Jesus. And everything you experience will then only be free and ever improving more and more. Paul is convinced he's almost there. And having come the long distance from being a persecutor of the church, a blasphemer of God, a murderer of his brothers, he now is glad to say, I have kept the faith I have remained in the truth, not by his own power or strength, he would say, but he would say that God has proven himself faithful. And as we saw two weeks ago, God has judged him righteous. And he wants Timothy to know that God has judged Timothy righteous. And he wants Timothy to preach to all who will hear it that God has judged them righteous. And so for us here at St. Paul today, that's the primary thing to take from this. That God has judged you righteous and intends to keep you in that truth, even while we dwell in a valley of darkness, shadow, and lies. But there is a lamp now, right? This is the idea. You have a light to open up the path, to see the narrow way, so you don't fall off to the left or the right. And that's, again, where the encouragement here is going to be to cling tightly to that lamp. I want us to start this morning with 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. This may not be the, the most common place to enter the book, but I do think it's at, it's at the heart of what it means to be a Lutheran Christian. The reason Lutherans were what they were or are what they are, if we are anything that is good, it is because we believe 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, where it says... Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. As we got in the car this morning, I had two of my kids with me to come over. You know, we've discovered k recently. It's... It's not always got my favorite stuff on it It's a Christian radio station There's some songs, there's some talk Yeah, Some of the songs are very encouraging They can brighten your day and remind you of Jesus Some of the songs, not so much Most of the talk uh, is the kind of talk you hear on the radio About nonsense But some of the talk this morning uh, Was about leadership It came out and it said Do you want to know about leadership? Go look at Matthew chapter blah 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 I turned it off The Bible doesn't care about leadership. Leadership is a buzzword that's come about because in the 1980s, a bunch of Christians decided that business practices borrowed from American business could make the church work better. And so they adopted things like mission and vision and leadership as if they were biblical ideas and began to teach them as the purpose of the church. In fact, there was a massive movement called the Purpose Driven Church. Now, maybe you've heard this. Maybe you haven't. It's still there. It's not as big as it used to be, but it continues to lead a lot of people into foolishness to the level where I heard recently from within our own Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. There was a major conference focused upon mission. You've heard that, right? Mission. It's about mission. Do the mission. You will have to search a long time in the Bible to find that word because it's not there unless you look for the word apostle which isn't what they talk about when they talk about mission. Now, why am I saying all this? Because for 30, 40, 50 years, they've been telling you the reason you're a church is to go tell people about Jesus. And that's just not true. Now, did I just say don't tell people about Jesus? No, I didn't say that at all. I just said that's not what makes us church. What makes us church is that we know about Jesus. And what Paul says here in First Timothy chapter 1 is that what we should be doing together is not forgetting that. Rather than being concerned with how we're going to make God do more, mission, we should be concerned by asking God to do more for us, keeping us in the faith, making us run the waste, guarding the deposit entrusted to us. Now, I have this belief, I think it's biblical, that when you attend to caring about the sound words of the Bible as a group, you won't be able to stop yourself from telling the right people about your church. Mission will happen because you'll be so glad you go to a church that tells you about Jesus. You're going to tell someone about Jesus. But I also believe if I sit up here and tell you, you need to tell people about Jesus, it's the last thing you're going to do. You're going to feel really guilty about it. You're going to feel like you're not capable of doing it. You're going to feel like you missed a bunch of opportunities. You're going to be wondering why and how you can do more. The last thing you're going to find is peace in the soul. Instead, you're going to find more anxiety. So, again, I'm going to read these verses. This is what it means to be church. Verse 13 follow the pattern of the sound words. He means read the Bible, know what the Bible says. Believe the words of the Bible are God's words. Use God's words for yourself, for your family, for your life. Let them be the pattern that you believe will stand even when the fires come and sweep all the mythologies and lies and stories away. Build your house on the rock and not on the sand. Follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me. That means what Paul writes to us, yes? in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Faith and love. Two different things, both essential, both mm, watered down now. So whenever you see the word faith in the Bible, I want you to substitute in your head the word trust. Trust. The trust you have in Christ. Because he is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. He has proven himself to be trustworthy. He has declared to you he will not leave you or forsake you. He has baptized you into the discipleship of his holy name. So to trust him above all things is a gift he's given you. And again, you haven't made this in your heart. He's made this in your heart. So cling to it. Uh, It's a power. A power of strength over weakness that it feels weak, actually. It feels weak. When you are weak, when you have nowhere to turn, when it looks like you have Job's life, falling apart around you trust in Jesus because he will see you through it and then love love I've complained about this word before I don't want to repeat myself too much but the word is married to emotion in English and that's very sad because it's not a word about emotion And so again, I think many young men have trouble with Christianity because they're told you're supposed to love Jesus. And they're kinda like, that sounds weird. And they're right, it does sound weird because that's not what the Bible really says. It's not about falling in love with Jesus. So there's another word I want you to kinda begin thinking about whenever you see the word the love of God or loving God. It also starts with an L, it's the word loyalty. Biblical love is loyalty. Think of John three sixteen. For God was so loyal to the world that he gave his only begotten son. Yes? And so here again, Paul says, follow the pattern of sound words that teach you to trust Jesus and to be loyal to Jesus. Because again, Jesus is loyal to you and has proven himself trustworthy. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, this is a promise again. You only believe that He is risen. risen Hallelujah. You only believe that because the Holy Spirit's already inside of you. It's a common thing for many Christians to wonder when they're faithful, they begin to wonder, do I really believe? Have I really given my heart to Jesus enough? And the preaching if always makes that worse. But the answer is not to, to dig in your heart and find out, well, do I really, really, really believe? Do I really, 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 really? You just end up in a black hole. The answer is to know that if you believe that Christ has been raised from the dead, then the Holy Spirit's already got you. So stop fighting. Stop arguing with him about whether or not he's chosen you. He's chosen you. And by that Holy Spirit who you know is in you, guard the deposit entrusted to you. That means guard your faith. Guard the words that you hear. Don't let the pattern of false words, unhealthy words, overwhelm the pattern of sound words in your life. Now, Paul is writing to Timothy as a pastor, saying this is what you're to preach and what you're to do as a preacher. But it very much applies to you, especially in an age where you listen to more preaching than anybody in an age that came before you. You say, Pastor, I don't listen to preaching that much. Yes, you do. You turn on the nightly news and they preach at you. You turn on a sitcom, the commercials come on, they preach at you, and the sitcom's preaching at you too. You have words swinging around you all over the place. And most of them are filled with half-truths, which means lies. And so it is necessary in this age of mass media for you to guard the good deposit. And as I've been trying to encourage you again, that means reading your Bible. Some point, sometime, every single day, even if it's just one proverb, I promise you, you read one proverb a day for a year, you won't be reading one proverb a day for a year. You'll be reading more. Yes? Guard the good deposit and, Pastor Timothy, make sure you preach that to the people. I'm going to back us up now to earlier in this chapter. Let's look at verse 6, the next column over, where he says, For this reason, I remind you, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began and which now has manifested through the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Oh my goodness, it's so beautiful. Back at verse 6 again, he's saying the same thing out of the first section. He's telling Timothy, you've known the Bible your whole life. You've known the scriptures your whole life. Just like I said a moment ago, guard the good deposit. And because you have the good deposit then, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God. What does that mean? It means to take what you have and get more of it. You've got a little faith because you know that he is risen? Hallelujah! so get more of it. And again, it's as simple as opening up your Bible and praying Psalm 1 every day. Has anybody been doing that? I won't make you raise your hands. So with my family, thank you, Marsha, as well. Good for you. Uh, read Psalm 1 every day. Do it for a month. Or one of my absolute favorites, Psalm 119, eight verses a day. It'll take you 23 days, 24 days. It's absolutely wonderful. Just get something into your life that isn't there now from the Bible. Fan into flame your faith. Feed it. What do athletes do before they go to a big event? They load up on food that's gonna give them the energy to achieve what they need to achieve. That is the race you're running now, only instead of food, you need the nourishment of the Holy Scriptures to make that spark that's within you, that deposit of the Holy Spirit, to feed it so it grows into a fire. Fan it into flame, he says, this gift of God. Now, he talks in the rest of verse six about the laying on of hands for Timothy. This is probably talking about his ordination into the ministry, so we won't go too deep on that here, but look at verse 7 then, because the spirit that's given to a pastor is the same Holy Spirit that's given to every single Christian. God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Now, I, I am a person who deals with a regular dose of fear. The first thing I feel in the morning when I wake up, it's fear. You can ask me about it sometime. I'll explain it to you, but just trust me on it for now. I wake up. I have so much fear. I don't want to get out of bed. I want nothing to do with life. Some people call that depression. I now call it fear. That is not the spirit of God. Does that mean I don't have the Spirit of God? No. It means I still have a flesh. I'm still walking about with a fallen human as me. Yes? But that's not what God has given me to be all of me now. That's what I inherited from my Father. What I've inherited from God the Father through His Son Jesus Christ is the Holy Spirit of power and love and self-control. We talked about love already, loyalty to God, loyalty to my neighbor, Power, he's gonna talk about again in a moment, because it's not the kind of power you think, I'm gonna succeed at everything I ever do. It's not that kind of power, we'll come back to that, but self-control there. And one of those fruit of the spirit, people like to say love, joy, peace, but they don't like to get to self-control. And I'll tell you, this is it's a superpower for you as a Christian. Everyone wants to have their will be better at saying no to this and yes to that. A Christian really does have the ability to begin to fight your flesh. Because you have this word of God that can tell you the truth in such a way so as to fan into flame a certainty that lets you stand against the present evil age. That's the spirit you've been given. And again, it begins by believing me when I say go home and read your Bible this week. Stop thinking it's all just going to come to you while you sit there and open it up and feed it. Feed it and see if that exercise of discipline does not create more self-control in your life. But uh, this self-control and power, they're connected now to something specific, which is lips that confess the name of Jesus Christ. He says, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. Yes? I mean, again, I'm not gonna make you raise your hands, but have you ever been in that situation where you're like kind of ashamed to say the name Jesus, or kind of ashamed maybe to to pray loudly in the restaurant, that kind of thing, Uh, kind of ashamed to open up your Bible in front of somebody else, yeah? And the point is not that you're not a Christian for that. That's pretty normal. Paul is then saying, though, don't let it win. Don't let it win. Say the name Jesus out loud and see if it doesn't get stronger in your life. Instead of saying, oh darn it, say praise Jesus. See if you can do it. You might even have the same, oh, praise, praise Jesus. Jesus. It's gonna be hard to do the first time you do it, yeah? But eventually, it builds in you. Hallelujah is another good word to say for that reason, yes? Don't be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord. Use it. Bring it out of the storehouse, right? Uh, And then share. I'm skipping over Paul being a prisoner. We talked about that. But he says, share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. I said, power is going to be defined not as I succeed, but as I know how to suffer. I can suffer and be okay. I can be in an uncomfortable place and not believe it's the end of my life. Americans can't do this. We are so limp-wristed and weak at this point. huh? But what a Christian can do is can have the entire world taken away from you and still, amongst the ruins, stand with your head held high because you have a hope others don't have. You will have grief, but you can have strength and hope in the midst of that grief. Not like those who run around trying to keep their sandcastle from falling down. You stand firm knowing that you're on a rock. Yeah, And so you can share in the suffering of your neighbor. You can share in the suffering of your friend and family. You can take the suffering that God gives you, whatever chastisement it might be. I don't want to go too far off on a tangent here, but I met three Lutherans from the Ukraine about seven or eight years ago. I was at a conference in Sweden, and it was mainly people from the Netherlands and Lithuania and Sweden that were there. But there were three people who came all the way through Europe. They didn't fly. They drove and took trains all the way through Europe to come to this conference. They're back in Ukraine right now. What kind of suffering are they going? through? Does God hate them? Does God not love them? No, quite the opposite. He loves them desperately, and whatever suffering they're enduring is to strengthen their faith. Why do I say this to you? We've just gone through two years of our own kind of suffering, and I would imagine there is more coming. I think what we've come to feel like the world is right now is what it really is. And so what we can do as Christians is say, all right, I can share in the suffering of the Christ who died for me, knowing that this world is a cross for me to pick up and carry. I can know that death is gain, and that to walk toward it is in fact the pride of the Christian, that the grave is not my end, that I'm immortal now. Huh? That's power, but it's not the kind of power the world can know. That's only the power a Christian can know to share in the suffering for the gospel of God who, verse 9, it gets so clear and beautiful, who saved us, called us to a holy calling. Holy, that means set apart, right? You are set apart because you've been saved and called out of the massive unbelieving world. Not because of our works, right? You didn't do anything to earn this. This is classic Lutheran talk on justification. You didn't earn this. Jesus did it because he loves you, because he's loyal to you, because he cares about you, because he's chosen you because of his own purpose and grace. That should go together there. What is God's purpose? What is his final identity? Why does God exist? And his answer is grace, which means to give. He's not a God who takes. He's not a God who demands. He's a God who wants to give. And because he wants to give, even though we don't deserve to be saved, we are. He has saved us because of his grace. Therefore, he gave Christ Jesus. Notice, before the ages began, that's some deep theology right there. But now, verse 10, he, Jesus, has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ. He showed up. He's incarnate. And then, as you know, he died and rose. He abolished death. Death is not what it was for you. He abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. All right, the gospel being that very thing I just said. We're gonna have to skip ahead here now. For the sake of time, I wanna look at the text we had read a few moments ago. Would you turn to chapter four, beginning at verse one, where he's gonna tell us how this is not always gonna seem like it goes well. This is important language for pastors. It's important language for elders and elected officers of congregations. It's important language for fathers who want to be fathers of Christian households. It's not always going to look like it's going well for the church. There'll be times of growth, that's in season, and there'll be times of famine, that's out of season, yeah? But all the same, we have one good seed, I mean, I don't know what farmer, when it's not going well, decides to change the seed. Let's try a different seed, see if it grows better in this bad dirt. And That's not what you do. You wait and pray for the rain, yeah? And that's kind of what Paul is going to get at here. Verse 1 of chapter 4, he says, I charge you, remember, Timothy's a pastor, yeah You better do do this, Timothy. You better preach this stuff. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead. That is, since you know he's your king, since you know he's your God, since you know judgment day is coming, I need you to hold to this. And by his appearing in his kingdom, I just kind of said that again. Second coming's coming. Preach the word. Preach the word. There it is. For you, Christian, that means read your bible and listen to a preacher who preaches the bible anyone who comes with a different word comes with a false gospel they come to steal your faith yeah preach the word be ready in season and out of season there we just got to circle that in your heart there's going to be times when the church is doing great and everything seems to be going well and the word is finding root in people's hearts and they're believing that it gives them wisdom and hope and power and self-control and then there's going to be times when you say what is true and someone throws a fit and says, I'm never coming back and they leave. You don't change it. You don't change it. The, the, the best example of this for modern Lutherans right now, I mean, marriage is getting to that level. But still, for us Lutherans, close communion is is one of these things. Now, someone comes, we say, can you please just not commune with us this week? We'd like to have us be more in understanding before you do. And they go, oh, that's so rude. I've been a Christian my whole life. What do we do? Change what we believe? Or do we hold to what we believe the scripture says? Yeah, In season, out. Expect times that are out of season. Now, you might think right now is a time that's out of season because of how the last two years have looked for us in America. But I'll tell you, right now is in season. Things are good for the church right now. Why is that? Because wherein the church is remembering that we don't live for this life, we are becoming a place of security, hope, and sanctuary, while the rest of the world is running around like chicken little. Ah, scary, scary, scary! And you know this, right? You come here and are you are you are you scared here? Do you feel overwhelmed here? I made a hospital visit this week. I was scared there. That, that was not fun to go into the hospital this week. But coming here again, what do I find? I find people that are hungry to believe that this life isn't all there is. I find people who want to believe that the Bible is true and He is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. So I think St. Paul, at least, is in season right now. I would love you to embrace that and start scattering the seed yourself. It means confessing in Jesus' name. But also, don't forget there are times that are out of season. And that's not the time to change. That's the time to believe all the more firmly. Now, the role of the pastor is what it says next in verse 2, specifically reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Pastors are teachers before they are anything else. And part of that teaching is to tell you when you're wrong, to tell you what is right, and to encourage you to walk in what is right. Because, verse 3, the time is coming, and I would say is already here, when people will not endure sound teaching. That is, they don't want to follow the pattern of sound words. I mentioned marriage being one of those things culturally, but I can tell you in the churches in America for 50, 60 years, we've been more interested in health and wealth and wellness and how great we can be than in trusting in what Scripture has clearly said. And I can confess to you, I knew more about J.R.R. Tolkien's The Lord of the Rings characters than I knew about the kings of the Old Testament. And as a pastor, that's pathetic. It's pathetic. I itched my ears. I'm not saying never read a fantasy novel or anything like that. I'm saying, again, when that story, when those noises overwhelm the preaching of the text to you by you, it's gone too far, right? So you want to begin to silence, especially those teachers that go directly against what you teach. I remember uh, when we canceled Netflix, uh, if you have Netflix, that's fine, uh, but it's, it's worse and worse, it's worse and worse. Uh, we watched this cartoon called Voltron. It's about these cats that are robots that become a man that fights other robots. It's about as dumb as you can get and really cool too, it's all in space. And, and it, it was funny, it was clever, it was part of my childhood nostalgia, my kids seemed to like it and it was great and it kept being in season six and season seven and oh my goodness, this main character, At the very end, he's a man, he's kissing a man on the screen and it's all over. What just happened? And then we start watching this new one called The Dragon Prince. And right away, there's a woman and a woman who have a baby. How's that happen? That can't even happen. It can't even happen. But it's being promoted as if it's normal. You know what that is? That's preaching. It's called normalization. And what it does is it take a child's mind and it twists it so they don't know what reality is. I'm gonna go a step further and talk about something called TikTok. If you've never heard about TikTok, it's something where you can watch little short videos over and over again, more and more and more and more. And what the science is beginning to show is this is creating things like multiple personality complexes in kids. It's, it's scary stuff that's out there. Now my point isn't never do any of it. My point is don't trust any of it. And then when you see the lie, stop listening to the lie because the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching and you want to be those who do yes don't be those who have itchy ears and accumulate for yourselves teachers who will suit your own passions who will tell you what you want to hear have someone who tells you what the scripture says and of course i'm preaching to the choir and the choir's back there i'm preaching to the choir for sure yeah saint paul's a place where you want that I remember the first week I preached for you, drove up from St. Louis, got lured in by the promise of a good meal and like swim uh, park, pool park, what is it called? Water park tickets for the kids. And okay, fine, I'll make the drive. And I came up and I preached to you and I I don't know why, but I I said hard stuff that week. It was in the text, I don't know. I had not one, but at least two people say to me, Pastor, come back and say that again. That's what got me here, was you wanted it. And that's why we're in season, it's because you want it. But so then hear it when it says, beware that there are those who don't want it. Right? Beware of that and guard your heart against your own passion so that you do not turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Rather than seeking stories from far away that you cannot confirm, as for you, verse five, be sober-minded, that means think clearly. Endure suffering, remember, that's the power of a Christian. And do the work of an evangelist that say, He is risen. Hallelujah. Fulfill your ministry for the preacher. That means teach the Bible. For the Christian, that means raise your family in the faith. Run the race marked out for you. Let the world go the way the world's going to go. And remember that for you, death is gain. Though they take, and do you know this yet by heart, though they take your wife, goods, fame, child or life though these all be gone the battle still is won the kingdom ours remaineth in the name of Jesus Amen